So I get to get up here and tell you that I'm certainly not worthy of all the compliments that are paid to me and, and to my wife gives me. I always think on not what has been done, but on what has not been done. And I am reminded as a father that there is a great more to do than there is that has been done already. So as we look to the scripture, I hope we'll find some great examples of, of some powerful ways to be this morning. So we're going to look to the Old Testament. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24, a legendary quote and a speech that's given in the midst of, of what I would describe as leadership that has had every bit of opportunity for failing and, fall, and falling apart, but has not. One of the reasons we love the book of Joshua. So when you get to Joshua chapter 24, I'd have you turn to verse number 14 or find it and stand with me. We're going to read through verse number 22. It says in verse number 14, Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods with your, which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Would you pray with me? Lord, when we look to Scripture, we are reminded that this business, that this matter of life, that this importance should be the chief importance in our households to serve you, that it's serious, that it's intentional, that it is, that it is never to be second to anything else. We ask, Lord, that that would be true in the lives of the families of our church, starting with the men. And we ask, Lord, that each and every man here would take seriously the business of following you in such a way that the community around us can people who serve God. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. You know, this morning, and as I look out and I realize that, and I was, I was just saying this, and statistically speaking, Mother's Day is one of the best attended Sundays in, in the church calendar. Father's Day takes a little bit of a hit, and there's lots of reasons for that. Um, this morning, I recognize that there are some that simply could not be here because they are cleaning up messes, and we are grateful for those dads, amen? Um, so if you know of a family or a, a father that's out there doing something to help his family or help another family this morning, make sure you encourage them and, and let them know, you know, that, that you know, if there's anything we can do, we ought to be helping them. I realize that many woke up without power or, or spent a long time last night without power, so I'm grateful for those of you that are here. But I believe something's true about that, and this is where you get to be a little uncomfortable with me, Okay. 
Sometimes when I look out at church and I see a smaller audience, I'm like, ooh, God has something important to say to a smaller group. So be careful what you hear next because he brought you here when others could not or would not be here. That means he really wanted you to hear this. And all of God's people said, ouch, right? Well, I want, to show, I want to show you in Scripture something that happens in verse number one of this chapter, which I did not read yet. And there's a couple passages that I'm going to poke at them, and I want you to see them with me. So if you'll look back to verse number one of chapter 24, it says, Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. And you're going to see these movement moments in the passage where God has orchestrated the, the moving of his people from one place to another, and he's using the leader that he has called in this moment to do so. It goes on to say that, that and if you're just, just going to skate with me through these passages, and, and I'm going to move rapidly through them, I've underlined a couple of key points here. After it says, he says, they called the elders of Israel for their head of the, oh, excuse me, for their judges and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. So he moves them, and they present themselves before God. And he talks about this in terms of this language, right? He gathered all the tribes. After this, he's going to talk about it in the language of fathers. And he's going to say that when you look at the households, that how they are measured in the Old Testament is, is that they oftentimes are measured by name, and they're measured by, by the importance of these, these patriarchal lines. And the tribes have names, and then the names of the, of the families under those tribes are, are listed. And he always starts at this moment when he talks about these fathers. Verse number three says, Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan. It goes on in verse number five. I also sent Moses and Aaron on, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. And if you're, if you're following along and if you've studied the Bible in your life and you have been through any number of either connect classes or, or if you've been through any number of, of Sunday school classes through the course of your life, you've studied some of these stories. You've studied the life of Abraham. You've studied the life of Moses. It's almost inevitable that if you spend any measure of time in church, you're going to talk about these people. If you don't know about them, we all have places we can learn better. So this is not a criticism of you maybe knowing or not knowing this, but these are important personalities in the Old Testament that help us stitch together what God has done. Well, as we see it, we keep going. It goes on further down, and, and now, because it's just a little easier, it goes, verse number six, then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. A little further down on the page, it says, you dwelt, or then, excuse me, then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. And he's just talking about, I moved them from this place to this place, and from this catastrophe to this catastrophe. And then they get out in the wilderness, and then they just have to be patient. This is the least favorite part of any person I know that follows God is to say, man, I'm really hoping that the next period of time is the period of time where we have to be patient. Nobody is like, ooh, Brother Ben, I'm looking forward to several years of patience before God. No, what they're saying is, man, I'm looking forward to, 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 to moving forward in action, or I'm looking forward to not having to wonder about anything and just letting everything happen the way it's supposed to happen. They are never saying, man, I just want to be with bated breath, waiting on God, not knowing what to do, and not doing anything, just being patient. Nobody is excited about the patience piece. But God consistently institutes it into the lives of the Israelites, and he consistently institutes it into our lives, and I wonder, I think that if you look back over history, God probably was more knowledgeable about the patience of the children of Israel than he was about the patience of the 
Western culture, American people who love the microwave. I mean, we are not patient for like a couple of days. We saw this demonstrated at the advent of the cell phone. You know, I've been talking a lot about this recently. There was a glorious picture of time. I've been talking about this with some of the other the men, too, in the church. There was a glorious time in history, and it wasn't that long ago, where we used to just leave the house without a phone, and we might or might not have declared where we were going, and then we would just go be somewhere and do something, work or, or whatever, and then if somebody wanted to reach us, they'd just have to wait. And that was considered completely normal and okay. Some of us miss that. Okay? You know, one of my least favorite things, and now that you know this, is, is you weaponize this, and Brother Ben will, will, will put, set a boundary, okay? So don't weaponize this. One of my least favorite things in the whole world is if you don't reach me and you hammer dial me, I'll get on the phone and I'll say, don't do that. And you know what I mean when I say hammer dial, right? And some of you are guilty of this, and I'm going to give you a little advice, husbands and men in this room. Don't do this to your spouses. I've tried this. It doesn't work. It does, does not give you any brownie points. You will not be in better love or in better favor with your spouse or your children if you do this. When I want to raise one of my children or my wife and they don't answer, I feel like that I should be able to call right back and they should, you know. Anybody guilty here? Uh-huh. How's that working out for you? You know? When people do it to me, I just am like, I will just leave, I'll set the phone down and walk away. Like, you just won't have to wait, like the old days. I remember a time before the answering machine. Not much in my life, but I'm telling you. You know, when somebody had to have a pencil and a pen next to a phone? I had a grandmother that had a, had a not only a journal by her phone that kept the, the, the date, the temperature, what phone calls were, talk, were taken, what major news had happened. If there wasn't a pen and paper, somebody might be trying to recall a phone number or a name, and they might totally butcher it. And you would come home, and they'd say, oh, well, so-and-so from such-and-such called you. And you'd say, was it this one or this one? And they'd say, I don't remember. And you'd be like, you're no help at all. And we're not good at patience. And this is the picture here, right? Well, he looks at this moment where he's like, and they just went out to the wilderness. And God is dealing with them this whole time to, to guide them and to lead them. I, I know we're, we're getting to a point, trust me. Verse number 11 says, then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you. And there's this laundry list of names, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. They're battling with everybody. God led them to a place where they were going to have conflicts. And then he describes this picture of how this is all working out. And when you get to verse number 14 where I started to read today, he says, now therefore... Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. You see, one of the key things that I hope that you'll glean this morning is, is that God knows all the obstacles that you face. God sees all the places that he's going to send you or that you're going to go. He understands everything that you're about to encounter. He knows all of it. And Joshua's admonition to the people once we get a picture that God is orchestrating all these things and allowing these things to happen in our lives and these patient moments and these big kingdom moments with Egypt and these big covenant moments with Abraham that he's like, he's talking about all these things and he says, as a result of all this history, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. 
If you're taking notes this morning, point number one is, is that the experiences you have been through are evidence that life is better with God. Now, I don't know about you, but some of the things in your life and some of the things that you experience, sometimes they don't feel like these are things that are drawing us closer to God. And some of the things are hard. I mean, some people woke up this morning and their lives are turned on ear, completely changed and transformed for the next several weeks, months, years. And we have lived through a number of these types of things in the course of my life in ministry where we see people, one day everything's fine, the next day the water is above their thresholds on their doors, the top one. And their lives are forever changed. But you know what I do know? For those of us that have a faith community that have God in our life, these things are better with God. They're hard for everyone. But isn't it something where you can share those burdens with other believers who have gifts and talents and skills that will come alongside you if nothing else to encourage you or to be there and say, you know, I've been through stuff like this. Let me, let me just encourage you. Or man, just let me pray for you. Or man, just, you need the tool, come borrow it. You know, whatever it is. Isn't it amazing how the only reason that some of us have any reason by which to be united is because we believe the same types of things about God? You can't tell me that when you look at this and you say, oh, this journey, this road has led us all the way to this moment, and as a result, we should fear the Lord and serve him with sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river. You know, all the while in all of Israel's history, and something that you need to see is that while God was central to the story, there's also these moments where the people are leaning out of the lane of loving God, and they are leaning into a lane where they are worshiping other things. And Joshua makes a clear point to say, you can't have both. And he's going to reiterate that point when we get further down in the chapter. He makes a real clear point. He gets to this moment where he says, serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Man, maybe one of the hardest passages with regard to Reformed theology in all of Scripture. And I'm going to tell you that when it says choose, I think it means choose. And so point number two is following God is a choice. In this instance, we see this moment where it's looking at real clearly, and he's like, you, you don't like God? Then pick. And I want you to know that that's, that's a lot of power for us, right? How many of you have ever looked at a menu at a restaurant you've never been at? And you go to this restaurant with people who have been there before, isn't that a great moment? Because you're kind of like, what do you like here? And they'll tell you, and you're like, I can base a decision off of somebody else's experiences. But have you ever walked into a restaurant you've never been to and nobody that you're sitting with has ever been there before? And you're looking at this menu and you're like, I wonder if any of this is any good. I, I have been in places in the world where I don't even speak the language that the menu is in. And there's pictures and you're like, Thank you, Jesus, there's pictures. And then you point at it, and you get it, and when you start to eating it, you realize this is a plate full of livers, and you're like, never mind. It doesn't look as good now as it did on the picture. God giving you any measure and Joshua challenging you with any measure of choice is a dangerous thing. Because you might just pick livers. I ordered a lemonade. There was... An inch and a half of mint on top of that lemonade. I was like, this is the most bananas place I've ever eaten in my life. This was the same meal, by the way. I formulated a whole strategy for eating when I'm out of country now because of it. 
People will say, what does that mean? If you travel and you go on a vacation, I know this is the time of year when people travel and go on vacation. I'll give you a little advice. Eat a solid breakfast, something you're familiar with. Be adventurous at lunch and recover from your mistakes at dinner. And what I mean by that is eat something familiar for breakfast and for dinner, and, and if you're going to explore or be adventurous, do it at lunch. That way when you're hungry after lunch, you know dinner's coming, and you can sleep on a full stomach. This is a surefire way for you to not have a problem going to sleep, unless lunch was really bad. I did not eat all those livers, I'm going to tell you. Hey, for those of you that love livers, amen. God bless you. It just happens to be a filter, guys. Anyway, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm wandering. I digress. But he says, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. And I always think to myself, our God is a great big God if he can allow us to, to hear these words from Joshua that says that we have some say over the matter. Because I know how much we mess it up on a regular basis. How many of you ever bought a car and you thought, that was a bad choice? Or you ever bought a, a piece of property and thought, man, I wish I hadn't done that? Or you, you even bought a garment, a piece of clothing or something, and later you're like, I regret that now. And I think people are doing God the same way where they're walking out and they're saying, well, this seems okay. I'm just going to try this on for a while. And later they're like, I hate this. Let me, what's the return policy on this? And Joshua's saying, God Almighty, who got us through from all the way, all the way back to Shechem, all the way through the wilderness, this is the one. I have eaten at this restaurant. I know the choices. Choose wisely. I mean, look, just follow along with me. He gets all the way to the point where he talks about that choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites and whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, there comes a point in my life and there's one of my toxic traits is that I'm an overhelper. I've described this to you before. I like to help people through scenarios and things. And you know, if it were up to me, I would order for you at the restaurant because I want to help you. I have learned to just be kind of like Joshua in this moment and say, well, you're pointing at a plate full of livers, but as for me and my house, we're going to have the chicken strips. You know? People are like, but I know I shouldn't choose for you. I would mess it up. I would mess it up. So he says, I can't tell you what to do, but I know me and my house, what we're going to do. So men in the church this morning, one of the things I want to challenge you to do is worry not about the things in the world that distract you or that you are alarmed about. Start at your house, leading well there, following God in your home. And then when other people talk to you, you say, hey, if it seems wrong for you that I follow God, pick. But as for me and my house, we're following God. That's what we're doing. We're setting an example right here in our home. And that's the model. I think that if we worried less about what was happening outside of our homes and on the news and in the public places, and we trained our children to serve and love God, that our nation would be better off in a generation. But we're trying so hard to affect everybody outside of our home that we forget that we're supposed to focus right here first. The response of the people is profound. So the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land. 
Point number three, if you're taking notes, is we should see clearly all that God has done. I think that's one of the most important parts about repetition when you study the scriptures. Have you ever come to a part in the Bible when you're looking at it and you're like, oh man, I've read this a bunch of times. Have you ever come to a, a connect group or a Sunday school class or a small group where you're like, oh man, we've got to study this again. And they just seem to repeat and repeat and repeat the big high important themes. And it's like, man, we have studied this from one end to the other. And I will tell you that, that while sometimes it's an exercise, it's kind of like a drill at a practice. Man, we do this drill every day. Why do we do this drill every day? Because we know it's fundamentally part of who we are and what we do right. And you're like, some of the repetition's on purpose. And then I love it when God shows me something new. And so I kind of, you know, champion the expression, read it again for the first time. I know that doesn't make sense, and if I was in an English class, they'd say it was oxymoronic or something like that. You know, it doesn't make sense. And what I would say is, that's true about every book except for the Bible, in my opinion. You read it again, sometimes it's with brand new eyes for the very first time, and you see something you've never seen before. And it'll come to life in a way that you're like, you realize that God is living and breathing and is in our midst, and that this is a living word that he's given to us, and that it comes to life. And it's not that it's new revelation to you, it's just that you have not yet been mature enough to understand what was already there. And all of a sudden, you're like, wow, I've never seen that before. The people make this bold declaration. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went. And among all the people through whom we passed, and the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites, who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. You know, I talked about um, in, in previous sermons, and I, I want to say last week, but there's this moment where we're worshiping when I was in Bosnia, and we're sitting in this church, and we're looking out over the city, and we're just singing these praises. And we know that we occupy a part of the, of the hillside, right at the very top where this church is that used to be a militaristic outpost, a sniper's nest. And you're like, wow. And you look at these moments in Scripture and you say, God has put the children of God in places where people who worshiped pagan idols and other gods and other, other false deities, and he has supplanted them with people of God. And you're like, this is what God does. You know, it's amazing. I tell those stories when I was there. It was actually quite, quite, quite interesting there's a moment by which the snipers in that community, not of this nest, but of another, where they had left only a small exit from the city for the people to leave. They had sieged the city, and around the whole city of Sarajevo, there is a military blockade, except for at the end of the, the, the airport, there's this wide open space where people could run out to the, they could run out to the forest and try to be with their families in the hillside and beyond. What they didn't know, the people didn't know, is it was a trap. They didn't understand that, it was, a, that it, was a, it was a death warrant to try to go out that way. Some of the same snipers that inhabited that place where we worshipped also had been stationed on either side of that, that, that runway. And what would happen is, is they would wait for the failing light to come on, and then people would try to make their escape. And the snipers would just play games and pick them off. And people thought there was hope and there was none. 
But you know what's amazing about this story is that there's this really cool museum that's at that airport. The people realized what was happening, and what they started to do is they started to make a tunnel. They somehow managed to communicate with the office of the president who was holding out, who was, who was bunkered in and dug in, and his office was communicating with some people on the outside of it, and they started to build a tunnel under that airport. One way going towards the president's office and the other way going outside of the community. Outside of the community was plenty of timber, and so they had these rail, these rail tracks through there and these small cars, coal cars, that would come back and forth. And on one side, it's tall. You could stand up in it. And when we were under it, we could see it. You could stand up on one side because they had enough timber to make the, the supports to hold the tunnel. On the other side, where there was no wood because they had been burning it for warmth, the tunnel was much shorter, just barely taller than the cart itself. And by some miracle of God, when they started to build this tunnel and they tried to connect it, they had just these very limited communications. The tunnels matched perfectly. And all of a sudden, the moment that they could get people out, they started to shuttle people out of there as much and as fast as possible without getting any kind of result. And there's this moment when you see this picture of deliverance happening in the midst of all this death around them that you say to yourself, surely there is a God in this world who will make a way when there is no way. And that's what the people of Israel were seeing in the midst of Joshua. He says, I took you out of Egypt where you were under the boot of the Egyptians. And Pharaoh had you, and he had you under his knife in such a way that you were going nowhere. And God made a way. So we're going to serve him in the midst of all the hard things. You look at the picture here, and it is absolutely unbelievable. Verse 19, but Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord for he is a holy God. And he gives them this powerful warning. This warning makes me very uncomfortable. I hope it makes you uncomfortable as well. He will not forgive. You know, it says he's a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. And you're thinking, wait, if you just read that verse and if you were in your Bible study and you said, I'm going to memorize a verse today and you got to that one, that would be a pretty grim verse to remember. Aren't you glad that's not the end of the story? He says he's not going to forgive you if. That's the very first word of the next verse. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And what he's ultimately saying, when you look at this picture, is, is that you and your salvation is dependent upon your relationship with God. That there is no salvation without God. And the judgment is what we should expect if we have not God. And we look to this and we realize that this is not inconsistent with anything else that the New Testament teaches or anything else that the Old Testament teaches, but that there is a, a judgment that is coming and that we're deserving of it. He tells them flat out, if you don't choose wisely, what you should expect is judgment. I think it's a message that is completely 100% absent. And as a result, I think there's a lot of people that don't realize that God includes each and every person who wants to be a part of his family. It is inclusive in this way. But it is also exclusive in the aspect that he wants you to forsake all other worship, all other gods, all other things that you love above him. And it is clear here in a way that is hard for us. The people's response is, is one that I champion and one that I hope that we will, we will all get behind this morning. It says, and the people said to Joshua, no, 
but we will serve the Lord. This is not the first time they've said it. So Joshua tells them, verse 22, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And he gives each and every one of us a strong thing for us to, to think about. In your house, as you lead, as a person who calls themselves a believer in Jesus, there's an expectation of follow-through. There's an expectation that you need to live up to what you say you are. And that's medicine that it doesn't taste very good when we don't want to live up to it. Point number four this morning is, well, read it with me. Our witness is bound to our actions. I, I hope you know that when they say that they are witnesses, he says, you need to do what you say you're going to do. I'll never forget being in a deacon's meeting um, many, many years ago, not here, but somewhere else, and, and, and I had reviewed some of the business meeting minutes, and I had gone through extensive measure of, of, of looking at the facility and talking about all the things, and a number of things had come up and all these different things that they had voted to do. And I said, you know, we were just sitting in the deacon's meeting, and I said, I don't think we need to talk about anything new today. And they said, what do you mean? I said, I said, guys, there's a laundry list of things you've promised that you're going to do that you haven't done yet. I said, I think we need to get busy doing those things. That meeting was short. But it filled that building with activity of all the promises that had been made. And all of a sudden, all the things that they had voted to do were done. It didn't take us very long to accomplish those tasks. You see, when Joshua is dealing with the people of Israel, he's warning them, you need to serve God. You need to remember where we've been. You need to make sure that your actions line up with your words. And that is something that when my wife stands up here and says anything positive about me, I remember all that has not yet been done. And I look at the men here, I think to you, I say to you and I challenge you, help me see the things that we have not yet done that we need to go do, and let's go do it. And let's lead our families in such a way. You know, it has been striking, and, and I'm going to say something that's completely unscripted with regard to my preparation this morning, but I feel like it needs to in the moment. There's been a lot said about, about Baptist life over the course of the last week. And it breaks my heart. You know, one of the reasons it breaks my heart because we're going to stand up in meetings and we're going to yell at each other and talk about the importance of our conviction of what these scriptures say. And you know, all the while, what's really bothering me about that is the men in their churches that are neglecting their responsibilities and their duties, let's sort that out. And let's start right here with me. And let's do that. And then we don't, we don't have many of these other conversations. You know, people would ask me where, where I stand on matters, and I would tell you, I believe that God created men and women uniquely, and I believe we complement each other in a way that both parts of the responsibilities are important and are noble and are, and are righteous before God. And because we fail to do right by those things, we, we are confused about what our roles are. Instead of doing what we're told to do and what we're supposed to do, and instead of being witnesses with our action, we become the reason by which the whole world is watching us fight over stuff that's sorted out already. And if we would just go live up to it or strive to and ask forgiveness when we have not. And it breaks my heart. 
Because you know what ultimately gets lost on the cutting floor when that happens? People stop talking about Jesus as being the way that we become saved and redeemed and rescued from our sin. You know, and they stop talking about the importance of, of, of us leading people into our churches to find Jesus and then be baptized and then be discipled. And we stop talking about the importance of, of reaching out into our communities. And all we can talk about is the dialogue and the language of the things that the Bible has already taught us. As though we needed to be taught again. And I tell you, when I read these scriptures, he says, choose. You know, when people tell me they don't like, you know, something that, that comes out in the scripture, and I always say, hey, you are welcome to file a complaint with my boss. It doesn't do me any good. It probably won't you either. I don't claim to have it all right here. What I claim to know is, is that this is what we should be living up to. And I challenge the men. I don't want to beat you up. I want to encourage you to say this. Remember where we have come from. Remember everything we've been through and that with God it has been better. Lead in your house and do what you say you're going to do. And if you can't say amen to that, then there might be an opportunity during this invitation where you could come and ask God to help with that. Like I told you, I said I knew in smaller audiences, God does something sometimes that makes us a little uncomfortable. And I, I, just, I just sometimes get wound up. I'm like, oh no. Because I need to hear these things too, guys. I listen to them dance all over that stage and all over that, those meetings. And all the while I'm like, man, wouldn't it be something if at any one of those meetings anybody ever got saved? You have thousands upon thousands of believers in one place. And we are not talking about reaching any lost people in New Orleans. Where, where did we lose our way? Right here. When we stopped doing what we were supposed to do. So today I'm going to have you stand with me and we're going to have an invitation. And I'm going to invite you, you know, I'm just going to invite you to come. And maybe you as a father or a dad in this place, maybe you want to come and you want to ask God. You want to ask him to just help you along this pathway. There's no shame in asking God or coming forward and saying, I need you. I need you. I know there's one thing I can't do. I can't father my family. I can't be a husband to my wife without God. I can't do it well. And when we start admitting that, we'll be a much better place. But some of the women in here might feel the same way about their roles and some of the children in this place. I understand these are hard holidays, but we have a Father in heaven that loves us and he sets a beautiful example, one we'll never live up to. I'm gonna pray and invite you to come. You might be here today and you might be saying to yourself, man, I don't know a relationship with my heavenly Father like you've described. I would love to talk with you about that. I know I haven't given that enough opportunity this morning, but I would say this. This is a greater beginning into a greater journey, and if you didn't hear what you needed to hear today, I'd encourage you to come back. We'll talk about it for certain, but for now, let us focus on what's in front of us. Lord, we thank you that you have given us an opportunity today to hear from the scriptures and be reminded, to be reminded of everything that you've done in the scriptures. But Lord, if we were to take, just take a, an inventory in our own lives of all the things that you've done in our lives, Lord, that we would have to stop and remember and say, we are grateful that you've been with us. And Lord, that if we would look to the opportunities when we choose 
And choices have been in front of us to choose sin or to choose you. And oftentimes we made the wrong choice that we could say, forgive us, and you have forgiven us. We ask, Lord, that today that we would choose you first. Lord, we ask that when we say things in our house that we would mean them. We ask that we would be witnesses with our feet and our hands first, with our words second. Lord God, I ask for this, that we would respond to you, that we would come, and we would just ask for your blessing on our lives going forward, that we would, that we would unite under this banner of being witnesses with our hands and our feet. I ask for this in Jesus' name, amen.